Good afternoon, everyone. This is Jen Fry, Visioning Council Member for the Organization of Nature Evolutionaries, or ONE. I'd like to welcome you to today's teleseminar, Rooted and Risen, Oral Poetry and Dialogue with Earth, with our guest, Timothy McLaughlin. This is part five of our Becoming a Nature Evolutionary series. This teleseminar is being recorded. Um, our guest today, Tim, or Timothy McLaughlin, is a poet, spoken word artist, and teacher. He founded the Spoken Word Program at the Santa Fe Indian School and has received numerous awards. His debut collection of poems, Rooted and Risen, was released in March. In this book, uh, he chronicles an inspired intimacy with the still wild places and presences of the earth. This book is available through www.hereitepress.com, and that's spelled H-I-R-A-E-T-H, press.com. And we do have a link for that on our website. So I'd like to um, thank Tim for joining us, and um, Tim, I'm going to turn it over to you. Thank you, Jen, um, for that beautiful introduction, and Thank you to the organization of uh, Nature Evolutionaries for inviting me to, to present in this way. It's so amazing in our world that uh, we can talk to many people in many places through the telephone. Um, and I'm so honored to connect with this organization. I was reading yesterday um, the identity statement of ONE and um, so powerful so beautiful and so thorough in terms of what seems to be the work of, of our time and our age on, the, on this planet. Um, and so I'm grateful for that vision and um, really honored and excited to connect with it. And I've been invited uh, this afternoon to speak about our relationship with the wild as humans. Um, and that's my <laughs> biggest passion, really. In life, and I feel like I'm in a unique and special um, position to do that today because I've just come off um, a very deep and intense time in the wild um, for a, an entire moon cycle from the, the full moon of the solstice in June until the full moon that we just had uh, now in July. My family and I have been with our ceremonial community here in New Mexico on a remote mesa. Um, praying and doing ceremony and, and uh, devoting ourselves to, to the, the summer ceremonies that uh, we're deeply committed to. And so complete immersion in the elements um, and this summer the deep heat that we've had in New Mexico um, and really fresh in terms of how I feel about the wild as, as a human and, um, and as a poet, my relationship to the wild and the way I'll speak today is as a poet um, and a writer and, and a, someone who is a servant of what I call the, the sacred word with a capital W, um, and also someone who is, as I just mentioned, deeply committed to a life of prayer and ceremony. Um, I'd like to begin and, and bring us deeper into this conversation with, with a poem, and this poem describes how I feel, again, as a poet and, and a man of prayer in the wild. And, and for me, this, this idea of rewilding 
um, it's really about getting into into those um, deep into the body of the earth, and and for me sometimes in places that are that are almost hidden and off the off the uh, beaten path, and that's when the magic begins to to happen, and I really feel um, that that deep connection and kinship with the earth. So here's the poem. <clears throat> Here. In the wild, where there's almost no chance of another human stopping through, where there's no hopping round patterns of perception and acceptance. My little cells uncoil like June cactus buds. My ticking brain unwinds the silence. My chest splits and lets my heart out for a walk. Things become the softness they rightly are. This wall of mountain with no edges holds me. This rock in my palm also wears a delicate skin. The air and the angels spread their silken touch over all of this place lighter than mist, finer than feathers. Whatever you have suffered, whatever low roads you have trod, this is where you must stop and be broken open in rich contradiction, savoring the deep peace possible now, longing for the untold freedom hereafter. And I really believe that getting to that place where where our cells do begin to uncoil, um, like the, the beautiful cactus buds here in New Mexico in June that bloom for two weeks, and that our ticking brain can unwind to that, that place of silence, um, and that our heart does feel free to walk out of our body and engage with the bodies of all the other beings in the wild, that that's the orientation um, that we need to continually bring ourselves to if we're going to call ourselves stewards of the earth and caretakers of the earth and all these grandiose titles and, and say that we're going to be activists and, and healers of the planet and all this, that really it begins with remembering cultivating and deepening our love relationship with what truly is our mother, our source, um, the source of life, and the earth, the sun, the stars, um, the sacred powers, and, and, and then loving all the, the things of the earth, all the earthly things, and including ourselves in that, and bringing ourselves to a, a right relation with, with every creature, every being, every form of life. Um, and, and melting sort of into our natural kinship with all of that. Um, and I believe that this, this really is a process of listening, a, a deep bodily listening um, that comes before and goes beyond language. And I say that um, very carefully as a poet, as, a, as someone that's committed to the word, that it's important for me to go to that place 
before and after language in the wild um, and just be a creature um, and understand the listening process through my senses and have this deep sensory experience. And, the, and the, the deeper and the further I go into the wild, the more my vision becomes really activated. And I start to see the trees um, are, are so magnificent and so gorgeous, and, and each detail starts to shine, you know. And, and um, I think it's, you know, not unlike what happens to folks who are, who are very committed to meditation practices, that they begin to see things that are often invisible. And then hear more deeply, you know, that the nuances of bird song start to really come out um, and, and show themselves, you know. And then I want to I touch the stone or the tree or the tiny blossom um, or the water itself. And, um, and that sort of listening, sensory listening um, and attunement to the elements gets me back to my essence. And, and then I feel I can do my work in the world as a poet. And I would, I would think it would be the same for, for any type of work, whether you're, you're building houses or writing legislation or, or um, um, you know, creating art um, or taking care of children. All of this um, <clears throat> requires this refreshment and getting attuned to the things that endure. You know, it's interesting how when we were on the Mesa for the past month, the things of the, of the world, so to speak, the, the email accounts and the, the bank accounts and the, the details of our house, those things seem to fall away so quickly. I mean, within hours, I've sort of forgotten about all of that. Um, and yet, when we return home after the ceremony, the, the rhythms and energy of what we have been through pervade and continue and reverberate. And as much as we like to, in our modern world, shield ourselves or, or hide ourselves away from the elements, it's really impossible, you know, even in a place like New York City where we've, we've nearly blotted out the sun and, and drowned the earth in concrete. Um, those, those forces are, are so big and so essential and so much us that um, we can never hide away from them. And, and of course, we would never want to. Um, and, and there's such a, um, a simplicity and a purity, I feel, without, without glossing anything over or, or, or trying to um, uncomplicate the situation of our times and the ecological crisis. I feel that, um, although sometimes I feel pain coming from you know, the animals that might be thirsting for clean water or, or the trees that, that are struggling with the quality of air and this sort of thing, that in general there's such a, a deep trust among the beings of the earth that are older than us and that that's, that helps mentor us. And in a sense, when I go into the wild, um, I feel that I'm going to consult with, with the elders um, and, and really ask, well, what, what, is, what is mine to do? What is ours to do as humans? How is it that we're meant to um, caretake and, and surely the destructive impact of humans on the earth is real uh, and undeniable. But I also feel like the message comes to me that we're very useful in, um, in healing that, reversing that in some ways, or just continuing through whatever it is that, that we've done to um, the hope and the longing for a, a reflowering of the earth. Um, and it's that 
that bodily, body-to-body conversation that's so interesting to me. So I, I want to dive back into another poem. This is, this is about just that, that, that um, what I call dialogue with the more-than-human realm, body-to-body, whether it's a tree or a bird above me or um, a stream um, or the clouds and the lightning, how to, to dialogue and feel my creaturely self. If ever I forget how to just be in this body, I'll go wrap my arms around an old tree and feel for the slight rise and fall of its spacious ribcage. I'll hold hands with a stone and relish its soft lines and bony textures. I'll shut these eyes in the pristine sunlight and allow myself to be gazed upon fully with no veils or visors. I'll recall once more that we are fleshy first, that before all our notions bravely orbiting the future, we are creatures, hungry and in heat, asleep and at ease. Speaking body to body with all these brothers and sisters of the wild, some covered in supple down, others in coarse moss, some dressed in fine oiled needle gowns, others in silky many colored coats, who each rose as we did, beauty struck from some moist parting in the soil of this great earthen body. And the conversation I enjoy most, may its thread never finally find an end, is the one between your body and mine, O beloved, even and especially in the long overnight silences of two hands gently clasped in slumber under the wool blanket. The conversation I enjoy most, may its thread never finally find an end, is the one between your body and mine, O love, even and especially in the long overnight silences of two hands gently clasped in slumber under the wool blanket. In that poem, the the final image that that, um, came to me of the the two hands, my wife's hand and mine, under the wool blankets uh, through the night asleep, it it, um, reminds me that after these forays into the wild and you know away from the family of humanity that it's all there's always that return and that longing to be back with with people and with brothers and sisters and with my family of course and that that's the reason to go is is to know how to come back how to be human how to be among um, our own kind and that also means for me a return to language um, to the word, and we operate so much, of course, in our world 
through language. And so with the refreshment of the wild, um, for me, poetry rises. You know, and I think for all humans, a, a refreshed, renewed, uh, more, more beautiful, more clear way with language comes when we orient from nature first. And so I'm, as a poet, going consciously, almost like a hunter, into the wild to go to that silent, wordless place and then kind of push it from the wordless and bring all of that magic into the word and into the music of poetry and into syllables. And the hope is that what comes through is language that's nourishing. It's meant to be poetry, I believe, is meant to be like food. Um, and because we're, we're so much in a moment of, of almost like a, a mission of, of remembering to take care of the earth and, and um, you know, continue life, basically, or uh, human life anyway, that the language needs to be useful in that way um, and potent. Uh, and, and for me, the usefulness comes by hopefully enchanting the listener or the reader. And for those who have a, a deep, developed, active relationship with nature, that um, the poems hopefully remind them or, or refresh that um, or renew it in some way. And for those whose relationship with nature might be dulled or diluted or, or even buried, that maybe there's a tiny awakening um, with the poems if they were to hear them or, or read them. Um, and, you know, I think that it's, it's really, um, as a poet, uh, I'm going as a hunter, yes. I'm also going, you know, almost like a... Um, uh, a medicinal healer to go harvest medicines, you know, to, to find the plants that are needed for for my brothers and sisters, you know, and, and for me that harvesting is, is poetry, uh, listening for what wants to be spoken and, and how could it be spoken uh, through me and how might that serve uh, the earth and, and the needs of our time. Um, and, you know, if a poem doesn't happen, that doesn't, you know, of course, uh, it doesn't mean that that I failed, you know, just as a hunter doesn't always come back with the big elk on his, on his back. But I do many things in the wild, um, including checking my accounts, you know, my poems with uh, the more than human realm. So I'll, I'll recite my poems, you know, I'm very devoted to the oral tradition, to having these poems in my body so that I can speak them in any setting, particularly in the wild, and then see how they ring true or if they need to be changed. And, and again, you know, they're not meant for just the human realm. They're meant for um, to, to be one of the voices among the, the chorus of the wild. Um, and it's beautiful to, you know, trade yelps with a, with a coyote or, or tremulos with a, with a roadrunner. But I think the most important thing is is to speak in our most natural voice um, and listen to the most authentic natural voices that are responding to us out there in the wild. <clears throat> and a lot of times, you know, I go into nature and just to cleanse and to orient, and there's a lot of waiting there, you know. And, and again, this time on the Mesa that I just had reminds me, a lot of waiting in nature, and a lot of nature does that, sort of waiting and holding and, and just being with. And then there are big magic moments, you know, like a huge thunderstorm or, or a wind coming through um, or something happening with the animals. So I want to um, 
recite another poem. <clears throat> and this one is about, um, specifically about walking here in the, the high altitude desert. We have many arroyos, which are, are dried, you know, and they, they're no longer filled with physical water, but they have the presence of the water element there, and you can feel that, and they're, they're beautiful to walk the twisting paths, and I do that often. Um, and then this poem also speaks about um, a Lakota grandmother and an experience I had uh, when I lived on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation as a young man, and that's where I began my ceremonial life almost 20 years ago, um, and how through shaking my hand, this grandmother gave me a big transmission of wisdom and insight, um, and that that came back to me once on a walk in, in Arroyo, New Mexico. <clears throat> so this poem is titled, Fluency. <clears throat> in the effort to become more like water, in the effort to become more like water, I've taken to walking the dried arroyos of New Mexico, gliding along their twisting, sandy trail, feeling the water's worn tracks round trees and brush and endless rock. My blood flushes itself through. My spine rises back into an airy float. My eyes moisten and relax their glare. My fixed notions and fine judgments blur into the total. The soft pebbled sand lends my legs a boyish bounce, and the walking rather does itself, fueled by the ghosted river current still running strong between the shallow banks. Sometimes I'm sure I spot a flash of trout just ahead, wriggling its fins, or feel a misting rise off the grainy riverbed and fill my nose. But the dryness offers its own comfort, and its truth, cracked, thirsting, reminds me why I came and what I might need carry home, lest my skin turn pale and brittle, my air goes stale. Once, in a prairie land still full of voices, where the plants and roots have never fallen silent, I shook hands with a stooped, wizened Lakota grandma at a feast. Her gnarled fingers curled round my hand, and the space between our palms glowed like fire. She hardly grazed my skin. It was the gentlest of touches. It was the gentlest of touches. And yet my whole form felt embraced by her warmth. A lightness rippled through as if I'd been dipped in a cool brook. Life was there, full up, and rushing, and not held bound, but given so freely, I yearned to know what source her cords led to and fed from. Surely, she spoke to the waters at dawn, called on them 
her bucket bathing more a soaking in than a washing off. Her coffee was seeped as precious medicine. Her food boiled in holy rain over a talking flame. And her patchwork trailer house, with no TV or books, was ever filled with fluid visitors, legged or winged, furred or scaled, streaming in the bright doorway of the wood stove. I know by now she's gone beyond, but sometimes on my walks, I find her shadow sitting beneath the knotted fingers of a pignon pine. I unshoulder my pack and kneel, and when she's nodded me in, I settle and offer her water. She breathes on it and sips, then gives it back. Drink, grandson, she tones. And when I've swallowed and made my prayer and tasted deep communion, she slips off again around the bend into the rolling wind. I leave some bread, a slice of fruit, a bite of chocolate, a pinch of tobacco, and know we'll meet again in an arroyo bed or on a prairie bluff, and let our hands entwine. And I'll learn anew to let my waters dance and sparkle long into the night, however cold and arid it may become. Fluency. And the end of that poem reminds me um, of something that I want to say, which is I think it's so important that when we go into nature and we're receiving, so I mean, we're always receiving, we go in consciously to receive cleansing and healing, that we remember to bring a gift. You know, at the end there, I speak of leaving food for the spirit, this grandmother. Um, and whether it's, whether it's food or, or tobacco, a sacred crop, something that's grown in our own garden, something that, that we have a relationship with, that we can bring and, and continually gift our mother um, in beautiful ways. You know, I know of people who plant these crystals in, in, the, in the rivers to, to hopefully do their part in helping the cleansing of the waters. Um, but even the simple gift of, of, of a touch, you know, the same touch that we would give to our friends, a greeting. Uh, I, I learned recently that in, in old Ireland, the men every day would tip their hat to the, the, the rising sun, um, and that the women had a way of, um, I guess, bowing or curtsying before the moon. Um, and isn't that so basic, and shouldn't we do that with every, every creature and being to greet them? Um, and to give a gift. And for me, the, the poems that I bring in um, are also my gift, you know, to, as I said before, to speak them and share them in the wild and, and see if I'm getting messages about whether they're accurate. 
whether they're strong and, and uh, you know, able to do the work of our time um, or if they need changing. And, and just as a way of opening that, that dialogue that I talked about. Um, and, you know, this brings me into another thing that, that for, as a poet, as an oral poet, that's so important is that the more I recite and the more I bring the poems into these sacred places, um, the more the consciousness and the awareness of the voice, the sacredness of the voice, the specialness of the voice, and the power of the voice um, becomes awakened in me and knowing uh, more deeply how I believe we're meant to use words and the voice as humans. Um, and I think we've gotten to a place in our society where even when we're talking about doing beautiful work, social justice, or, or work of caretaking the earth, that we often approach it with so many words, so fast, so linear, so analyzed, so organized, straight-lined, um, creating an argument, airtight argument, proving something, measuring something, obsession with correctness, and um, you know, obligation, and all these sorts of things. And I really feel that's a a tired, stale, and non-useful uh, way of being with language. Um, and I think we're particularly uh, uh, sort of addicted to that um, in America and with the English language, sadly. Um, whereas I believe the language of poetry in any language, English or any other, is really about inviting um, as opposed to analyzing, inviting and drawing people into something that's magical, intoxicating, um, having more of a circular dancing movement, and that our voices literally sing, that there's less of a distinction between the singing voice and the speaking voice, that they're both very musical, and that um, you bring pleasure to someone uh, when you speak to them, and that you're feeding them again and, and creating beauty as opposed to something that's you know, correct. Um, and I, uh, the more I recite poetry, the more I feel that I'm coming into the naturalness of my voice. And as you probably hear when I move into poetry, there's a lot more space there. There's a lot more breath there, uh, even silence. And attention, again, to the, the music and the way the syllables want to work together. And I believe that when, and I can hear it, you know, I, I used to do a lot of teaching uh, with spoken word poetry, and when the students would really start connecting with their more natural voice, a, magic, a natural magic would arise, and that's where I think a dialogue starts opening, and, I, and now I become more aware that that dialogue goes beyond the human, as I've been saying, into the natural world, and that I think there's more response. Um, that, that, when, when our voices are a little more nuanced and colored and textured, that now, literally, there's more response from the animal kingdom um, and the water start sparkling a certain way. I mean, it's, it's sort of hard to describe what happens, but I, I have experienced it many times. Um, and uh, I, I think one way of illustrating this, again, would be through poetry. Um, there was a, a time here... Um, our home is in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and, and we're in the city, but we have a, a vast 
open arroyo behind our house, and we're up on a hillside. And um, recently, there was a um, an initiative from the city to build a big park in part of this vast arroyo, and that was heartbreaking for me in some ways for the, the untouched land to be developed in that way. You know, of course, we have that pattern everywhere. Um, but again, uh, it was wonderful to to later discover there was a secret gift in that um, apparent hardship, and that was that the coyotes that live in this arroyo, uh, when the park started to go up, moved closer to our home, our house, and for, gosh, a couple of months, they were literally, had found a spot just below the hillside where our house is, and we had such a relationship with their singing and particularly the song that came at sunset. And it, it was like resounding through our house, and we'd go out on the patio, and it was a big concert. And at that time, we were also uh, holding a, a drum circle and singing every week, and often the coyotes were responding to that. Um, and in the poem, I also talk about how the, the coyotes showed up at some of the biggest moments in our personal family life, my, my wife and I and our children. Um, so this is called um, Coyote Choir, uh, and that's thinking of them as, as a group singing together. And I've never actually recited it before, so this is a special moment. <clears throat> but it's in, the, it's in the new book, Rooted and Risen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Coyote Choir. For weeks, you've been camped in the arroyo bottom just below us nestled in among the low junipers and colonizing elm. It's only here and there I catch sight of you, just one or a few, trotting across rocky hillsides or bounding through sandy clearings. But each evening, you've sung the sun down together. I always listen, a wee devotion, and imagine the renegade choir gathering, veterans and pups with fur matted and muffed, paws pushing out and haunches arching up, jaws yawning to life, throats coughing, growling, clearing space for the voice. I don't suppose you need look west to know when the last ray has fallen off the horizon. Even eyes shut, you likely feel the little change in light or mood that starts the nighttime spirits dancing. The song opens and comes seemingly from everywhere, fills the sky and dances about the valley. I find such character in each voice each melodic line in its flips and glides and fine ornaments. My hungry ears gobble up every yip and yelp of the short, wild prayer. And there's so much I'd like to know. Even meet the group. But you're not much for fame or fan, I trust. Yet it's clear you're watching us these years as you've come to sing at our ceremony, matching otherworldly tones with my laboring wife 
On the half-mooned night, our sun emerged. And keening, long and low, in the stormy midday, when we let our dear, unbodied one go. And when we circle up to sing each week a less polished or timely choir, your listening is palpable. Our weird commitment interests you. You grin to feel our lungs' modest reach. When we begin, I often close my eyes, tilt up my chin, and nearly sense my snout lengthen toward the stars, my body reposition outside your bend. I once stood a long while in gentle eye-lock with you, lone scavenger, the dry field between us, and reveled in your form, its aesthetic grace, limbs lanky, nothing extra on the frame. I breathed my thanks, brother, coyote, for all the music all the magic in the arroyo. And friend, I hope your belly's always full, your bed soft and warm under these lavish desert skies. Let us be good neighbors then, sharing space and bits of news by day and dilated dreams by night. Our families richly mingled by our common breath and our dialogue of song. And that dialogue of, of song and of poetry and all that is is um, really my my devotion and, and my way in the world as <clears throat> as a poet. Um, and I feel that it helps me to to move and act with the elements and the sacred powers. Um, and I also feel um, that the more I engage in that dialogue, um, the more uh, the dialogue reaches for me and pulls me in, and that it really becomes not always initiated by me, it becomes um, something that's really ongoing. And it's not just my time in the wild and the time I've set aside for prayer and this sort of thing, that it becomes really the life itself. And life sort of becomes a little more magical. Um, and, and I feel that that is a true work in the world, you know, and, and that um, as a poet, it's, it's really, really important to be sort of immersed in that dialogue as much as possible. Um, and then share it as I'm doing now as much as possible and knowing that other people are doing their work in the world, you know, and, and hopefully that they're finding their way to be attuned to the elements and the sacred powers and to their ancestry and their lineage. You know, I think it, this, this phenomenon now of the DNA testing is really bringing people to a, a deepened appreciation for, for lineage and, and ancestry and um, you know, all the nuances and differences in our cultures and languages and um, traditions and, and our, our common humanity. You know, we're feeling both, I think, more deeply. 
Um, and to that end, I want to speak um, a poem that's not my own. Um, a man named Dennis King, uh, I think he lives in the Pacific Northwest, but he has written um, a number of dual language poems. Um, he's a scholar of the Irish language, and the majority of my ancestry is, is from Ireland or that region there, Scotland. And um, so I'm trying to, to bring forth some of the music of that, that old language in my own vocabulary, in my own body. And so there's a poem titled Seshul, and Seshul in Irish is the word for moving sunwise. And the way, at least in my experience, almost every ceremony moves in, in the Northern Hemisphere is, is the way that we see the sun moving. Uh, clockwise, sunwise direction. And this poem um, speaks to that, and I offer it as, as a prayer for our orientation in the world as, as humans. Shulam Fesho Erlia Tobor Ishbila. Let us walk sunwise around standing stone, holy well. Sacred tree. Shulam, special, a shleer, luck, a squeal. Let us walk sunwise around the mountain, around the lakes, through the woods. Shulam, special, a shleer, a bisha, a shleer, let us walk sunwise on the path of the spiral, on the path of the vision, on the path of the truth. So my friends who live in Ireland will probably call me and correct my pronunciation, but that's my my uh humble offering in, in the Irish language for a beautiful poem by Dennis King. Um, and may it be that way. May we be in uh, alignment with all the sacred powers in the, the sun and the moon and the, the stones and the trees as we walk on the earth. Um, and I want to um, end my, my portion here, and then I'd be very open to any questions that are coming from those that are listening. Um, but a final poem that sort of synthesizes what, uh, if I had to distill it down to the very, very essence of what I, I hear from the sun and the moon, um, this is it. This is what they've, they've whispered as a, as a secret into my ear. Listen, I will tell you a secret. The sun said he loves the earth and will go on loving her further than forever, even if he goes away or shuts his eyes a while. And the earth said, we are free and filled with purpose, that we matter much and alter little, even when we falter big. Brothers and sisters, the earth said, 
we are free and filled with purpose, that we matter much and alter little, even when we falter big. And they both winked and whispered that one day I might love someone the way they do each other and me and all the others. That's my secret. Tell everyone. The plants already know. So do the animals. May we, as humans, begin to remember and understand the things that the plants and animals already know. And and know that we have, in some ways, faltered big and done much harm. And yet, I don't think we've altered necessarily the destiny of this planet and of the cosmos. And that, that in some ways, the great plan has accounted for us. And, and humans and our our thought in the circle of creation that things are okay and that we do matter much and that we are free and we're free to make the choice to to love our mother as a mother and care for her in, in all that we do um, so I'll do that as a poet and may each of you do that in, in your beautiful way. Come together and share food and fellowship on a re-greening, re-flowering, beautiful blue earth ship sailing the cosmos. So Jen, if you're there, I'm very happy to um, receive any questions that are uh, percolating in the, the tele- Hello, phone vibration. So if there's anyone who has questions or comments for Timothy, please press um, star five on your phone, and I'll see your little hand get raised, and um, we'll call on you. And Tim, while we're waiting um, for that, I just want to um, say a huge thank you to you, the reason why we have this teleseminar is to, or this series anyways, is to uh, explain this term that we've created called nature evolutionaries mm. and to give examples of people who um, are nature evolutionaries. And I think with your poetry and your explanations, you just voiced what we are trying to demonstrate so eloquently and exquisitely. And... Um, I really want to thank you for that. Uh, one of the lines that I that I really picked out actually were from earlier when you were talking, when you were saying about remembering, cultivating, and deepening our love relationship with Earth, our mother. And, um, yeah, that was exactly what we're trying to do with the Organization of Nature Evolutionaries. Absolutely. You know, and, and it's, it's almost impossible to do that without art, you know, and without the intoxication that comes through. Not just poetry, dance, music, song. And, um, you know, I think all these incredible not not for profit organizations that are springing up really benefit from having some sort of expressive artistic element. And I know you all are very much on board with that. Um, and it's essential. You know, it's, it's what humans have done forever. Uh, 
our way of, of loving the earth is, is a creative way. You know, it's always through vibration and song and uh, making food and, and dancing and all of these beautiful things, making sacred objects. Um, so I'm happy to, I'm just, you know, happy to, uh, you know, although I'm not, I'm not a young, young man, I'm in the middle part of my life, but to feel that I know what my work is meant to be at this time is really great, you know, because I think it's easy to flounder about. Um, and I really, really long for that for, for all people, that they know their work, um, even if it's a multiplicity of things, uh, and on fire for it, you know, on, on, on behalf of and in service to the earth. Wonderful. And yes, we definitely agree. Art is, um, I mean, one of, when we started, we created these things we call gardens. Now we don't, no longer call them gardens, but, um, they're kind of focuses for how we try to bring about this, um, idea of nature evolutionaries and how we can interact with the world. And one of those is creative expression, because, you know, art is what allows us to, to give voice or give form to those things that we don't have words for and um, that are hard to explain and hard to describe. And um, and so, yeah, creative expression is a big part of that. Um, yeah, so does anybody um, have any questions or comments that you would like to share with Timothy? And if so, please press star 5. I think everyone's shy today, Tim. That's, um, you know, so, or maybe they're just, you know, drunk from your words. But, um, <laughs> um, is there anything else you would like to say? You know, I I feel that that I've said what I need to say. You know, if, if you'd like, I can do another poem, but I also feel really good and um, just happy, happy to share. And okay, great. Well, again, um, I want to thank you really deeply from the bottom of my heart, Tim. Again, um, it's just really beautiful. Your poetry is gorgeous. I love the love affair of the earth that you bring forward in your poetry and um, and encouraging others to have the same love affair. Yeah. And, um, oh, wait, we do have one hand before I close off. Okay. So let's get you on here. Hello? Hello. Hello. You're on. Thank you. I have thoroughly enjoyed hearing you, sweetie. This is your wife, Maya. <laughs> <laughs> and <clears throat> I'm sitting here with the family. We're all tuning in. And I wondered if you could tell everyone where they could locate your work and, and what you have coming up in the near future. Yeah. Of course. Um, well, the the book, the new book, is titled "Rooted and Risen," as in the trees. Um, you know, and that comes from the, the epigraph of the book is from Rilke, and as we surrendered to Earth's intelligence, we could rise up rooted, like trees. Um, and uh, Rilke is one of my main progenitors, and, and someone who. I, I believe um, somehow pulling some of the puppet strings on my arms, and I'm really grateful for his body of work 
although I'm reading it in translation. Um, so yeah, that book is, you know, you'll find it just by typing in the title, but here writes press. Uh, it's a beautiful press devoted, as, just like this organization, to to the wild and to the earth and to publishing work whose music is in consonance with the music of the earth. And the editor there, uh, publisher Jason Kirkey, is a wonderful man. Uh, he's doing wonderful work. And he writes H-I-R-A-E-T-I-T-H, press.com. Um, and I'm doing a little bit of, of touring with the book um, over the course of, of this year. I'll be in the Northern California area in September um, and then up further north in the Pacific Northwest and into Victoria, Canada, uh, probably at the end of October. Um, and then, you know, a lot of things here in, in the Southwest, but you can find all that on my website, which is timothypmclaughlin.com. So, yeah, um, tune in and and uh, or, or look there. there. There are videos and poems and things like that. Um, but I'm always looking for places and ways to recite um, and speak, you know, and, and in some cases um, pray and, and, and perform ritual with people. So whatever's needed uh, for me as an earth poet, I, I go and do it uh, if I can. And often with this beautiful woman who's on the other line there, Madi Sato, who is uh, a singer and a carrier of many medicine songs, so we perform together quite often, uh, or present or teach together. So, thank you, Madi, for listening. She's always my first listener, and a really, really good listener. She's very adept. Uh, although she doesn't write poetry, she writes songs, but she knows how to tell me uh, good things about my poems and keep me in shape. So, uh, and support all of all of the ventures that I have into the wild. Thank you, Tim. And we have um, someone else who's also raised their hand. Hello? Hello. Hello. Yes. I wanted to thank you for the idea about giving gifts to the land to the earth. Yes. It's, uh, I go to Japan a lot, as you know, and you don't go to someone's house without a gift, presenting gifts. It's such a beautiful part of their culture. When I go to Japan, I have one suitcase with nothing but gifts and then return with a full of gifts for other people. And uh, I'm just on my way to spend some time on the water. It's a perfect time for me to start that practice with nature as well. So thank you very much. Enjoyed your one-hour show immensely. Oh, thank you so much. That sounds like Tom. <laughs> Beautiful man. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very important, I believe. Um, the, the reciprocity, you know, and we talk about that a lot, and, and there are the big ways of, of being in reciprocal relationship with the earth. But those small, tender ways, you know, um, the same way that we, we are with each other as humans, you know, what do these little gifts that we give our grandmother mean in the end? You know, it's it's the tenderness, and, and shouldn't it be that way with, with Mother Earth, too? Well, great. Um, 
Is that the last question? That was the last question, I believe. Yeah. I'll, I'll close. Uh, since, uh, since Rilke came into my consciousness, let me close with some of his words. Okay. Um, Rilke tells us that all will come again into its strength. The fields undivided. The waters undammed. The trees towering. And the walls built low. And no churches where God is imprisoned and lamented like a trapped and wounded animal. The houses welcoming all who knock. And a sense of boundless offering in all relations. And in you and me. A sense of boundless offering in all relations. And in you and me. No yearning for an afterlife. No looking beyond. No belittling of death but only longing for what belongs to us and serving earth, lest we remain unused. May we be very, very useful to the earth, her servants, her children. Amen. Thank you, Tim. You're welcome, and thank you again for inviting me um, to this this series, and I look forward to to hearing more of the, the speakers and presenters and learning more about your important work. Well, it's really our pleasure to have you on here. And um, I also would like to thank everyone for joining us today, and for those of you who are listening to this recording, I hope your hearts are as touched and as full as mine is. And I invite you, we have one final teleseminar in this series, and that is on Sunday, August 21st, also from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 12 to 1 p.m. Pacific Time. And that is Foraging and Feasting, Engaging the Wild in Everyday Meals with Dina Falcone. After this series, we will be starting a new series. Um, The series focuses on the wild, and we will be beginning one focusing on the ocean. The recording of this teleseminar and the previous ones are available on our website, which is natureevolutionaries.com, on our teleseminar page. If you do not receive our newsletter, please sign up. We have one closing newsletter on the wild, which will be sent out in August. And then we will switch to our new theme, which I said is the oceans. We well, well, and actually, our previous newsletter, which you can also find all the articles from our newsletter on our blog on our website, but we focused or we highlighted several of Tim's poems, so you can also see them there. Mm-hmm. And we welcome your questions, your comments, feedback, and any newsletter submissions. Um, we really want our organization and our newsletter to be of service to um, nature evolutionary. So anything you have to offer, we appreciate. And you can email these to our web, or I'm sorry, to our email, which is natureevolutionaries1, as in the number one, at gmail.com. I know Tim already mentioned this, but I'm going to repeat it. For more information or to contact him, you can go to his website, which is Timothy P. McLaughlin, which is spelled M C. L-A-U-G-H-L-I-N dot com. 
and there is a link to his website on our website, also on the teleseminar page. And um, oh, we will also have a link for his book, Rooted and Risen. And um, I was thinking there was something else I wanted to say about that, but we'll have a link to his book, which you can find um, all of this information on the teleseminar page. And please remember that it is your contributions that allow us to provide these free teleseminars and our other services. And you can make a donation uh, on our website. And again, I thank you for joining us, and I wish you much love and oneness, and hope you have a great day, and um, enjoy our Mama Earth. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Bless you all.